how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is Ryan Staley, your host. I am here with Russell Rothstein. Russell is a two-time bootstrap founder. He's the father of five kids. He's currently the CEO of IT Central Station, which is, has basically a $3 trillion, that's trillion with a T, market opportunity in enterprise tech through crowdsourcing, product reviews. And he's grown to eight figures plus after nine years of bootstrapping, and they just took on $30 million in funding. So super excited to go through your journey today. Russell, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Good. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yes, yes. Uh, I, you know, I, I reached out to you kind of like we were talking before because I, I saw you on LinkedIn. I saw about your press release and I love the fact that you bootstrapped for nine years to get to where you're at because I talked to so many founders and they're obsessed with getting funding right from the get go. And so really excited to hear your journey on kind of how you got there and what you learned along the way and, you know, kind of some secret sauce of, of what it takes to make that happen. So could you give everyone like a backdrop on your, your superhero origin story in terms of how this came about, how you got five kids, uh, the whole, the whole <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah. Thanks Ryan. So super. Um, so background uh, for starting it central station, which uh, we're renaming to peer spot starting January, 2022. And the way it started was back, and, and so we've been bootstrapping for nine years. Uh, we're not the um, overnight success. We're the nine-year success and growing uh, company uh, because we've been slowly building time over time this business. But we started it now nine and a half years ago. And so rewind back to 2000 and. Uh, it was about the end of 2011, um, mm -hmm. and I was having dinner with um, Naftali Marcus, who ended up being my co-founder. We were talking about different ideas for starting up a company together, and uh, I had just flown in. We met in New York. I'd flown in, uh, and I'm an enterprise software guy. That's my background. I've always been in the enterprise software space. I began my career at Oracle, worked in enterprise technology companies, both large and small, and I was working every day with people who are buying enterprise technology solutions. And, and I said to Naftali at this dinner, I said, it's amazing, remarkable that when I went to choose a hotel to stay at for my trip to New York, I used TripAdvisor reviews. And I had more information from peers to make a decision about what hotel to stay at than these enterprise technology professionals who are making these really critical decisions making decisions about million dollar purchases or, or purchases that are gonna make or break their career, can save their money, their company tremendous amount of money. Uh, they can be over rock stars, but didn't have access to the opinions of their peers. That just didn't exist in the enterprise technology world. And so we started to talk about, well, what does that mean to start a review site for not only B2B, but for enterprise technology? And, and over time, we started to learn about well, it's not just like Yelp or TripAdvisor, it's very different kind of things about it. But it was at this dinner, uh, really just recognizing the fact that 
reviews are so influential as consumers and how do we apply that to a business-to-business -business enterprise world. In fact, many of the best companies out there in the world are ones that have just thought about other successful businesses and then how do you apply it to a different domain, to a domain that you're very knowledgeable about, that you have this unfair mm -hmm. advantage about. And that's exactly what we did. I love that because I, it's so funny. Like I come from that enterprise IT space as well, software managed services. And I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, it's, it's gotta be so hard for these guys. Now, granted, I, I wasn't, I didn't take the initiative. Like you didn't start a company around it. Otherwise our, our chairs might be opposite. Right. <laughs> but, um, but my point you'd, is, you'd have, you'd have less hair. Believe <laughs> me, Ryan, you'd have less hair if we switched seats. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, man. But it was funny. Cause I was thinking about it. Like when I, when I went through and, in, in you know, the, the IT executives would basically say to me, like Ryan, like, it's so hard to figure out like who's good and who's not. And, and like you spend so much time evaluating projects. So I could see where there'd be a massive opportunity to help people with that because I mean, firsthand decision makers express that to me time in and time out. So kudos to you for making the move on that. Absolutely. Ryan, if you, if you talk to people who are making those decisions today oh, for enterprise software, they say that, you know, over the last, five years, 10 years, they'd rely on Gartner. Gartner would be the most, say, influential or well-known influencer of how they make decisions about what vendors to, to choose or what products to buy. And if you ask them consistently, this is what we did in our early research. They said they're just very skeptical of the, the data that they get in these magic quadrant reports. Why, why is, is it, and again, for, for those in the audience who don't know, magic quadrant report is, Gartner's ranking of different products and vendors in the market. And there's no transparency. No one knows why a dot is in a leader's quadrant and why a dot is in a different quadrant. Um, these reports are put out maybe once every one and a half to two years. They're not dynamic. They're not online and they're not personalized. So there's a lot, and there's a perception of pay to play. At least that's the perception in the market. And so when we started to, to talk to these people who are making these enterprise technology purchases, that's what we kept hearing time after time. They were very dissatisfied with their the advice, the, the, the way that they can get the best information for their purchasing decision. And again, that gave us further validation for the idea. Yeah, so I, I love that and, and great job of running with it. So Russell, so let's talk about that. So a nine year overnight success, I love how you categorize that, right? <laughs> Um, which is, it's kind of funny cause I'm finding it more and more like you hear these, these press releases where they're like, they went from 1 million to 5 million in one year, but the prior three years they had zero revenue. <laughs> like they, they kind of leave that part out of the press release. So I think it's awesome that you're, you're uh, candid about the journey on the way there. So why don't you talk us through a little bit about what the journey was like from zero to one and how long that took and just kind of what was involved with that. Cause that's, that's, uh, a really hard kind of threshold yeah. to get past for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think every stage is hard, but certainly there's some unique aspects of that sort of early zero to one stage. And you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient um, because you've got to spend a lot of time understanding customer needs, building a product and getting to a, a good amount of product market fit building out an, an MVP at least, 
and be able to validate this is something that customers want. Because whatever you come up with, whatever your initial, and I've been involved with a number of startups and my background is on the product management, product marketing side, your initial idea for a product is never what you end up going to market with. There's always gonna be changes as you get more and more customer feedback. So you've gotta be patient. And patience is, first of all, having the financial wherewithal to be able to support that, right? So before you start a company, you really have to have a discussion with yourself about, am I set up to be able to support myself and whoever else is there on, on the journey for two years? without any revenues, without any in potential investment. Again, you can, you can try to sell your idea to, your, to, to VCs early stage or to angel investors, um, but you'll actually probably come out with a better product, like it worked out for us, by not spending your early stages talking to investors, but spending your early stages really understanding market needs, customer needs, building product market fit. But you've got to have that Sort of two years. That sounds like a long time. You got to sort of build that two years, and that means that you know if you've got a, a partner uh, that you know you share a household with, that partner also is supportive of you. My wife, you know, was very supportive of me. That it would take two years, and 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 we put, you know, I made investments in the company to be able to support our initial. I wasn't just not taking a salary, making also investments in our staff and the expenses of the company for the first two years. So when you have that support, um, both within yourself, as well as uh, your family or your, your partner, what have you, um, then you're, you're set up for success. Yeah, I, I could. The emotional factor is something that a lot of people kind of gloss over. And I think it's uh, it's it's smart that you have the expectations of like, hey, this is going to be a, a pretty lean operation or, or lean go of it. Uh, over the first year or two years, I should say that that you're going through it. So, so how did you create revenue when when you're going yeah. through that stage? What did you do? What yeah. was your revenue model or monetization model? Kind of, how did you start to get the engine running? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, the beauty of it is we we never pivoted. Uh, so in our nine and a half year history, we're continuing to execute on the initial vision. Again, so some of the functionality features, product offerings have, have changed somewhat, but the, the vision has really been consistent for our entire period. So we were about, uh, as a review platform, uh, enabling enterprise technology companies to get to, to surface the opinions mm -hmm. of their customers, for, the, for their customers to make it easy for their customers to write reviews, and then to enable those buyers to be able to read reviews and contribute reviews and be part of the community. And so uh, we monetize our, our customer base are the technology vendors, uh, software companies, companies like Cisco or IBM or Microsoft, uh, those types of, com and, and cybersecurity companies and, and IT management software companies and venture back companies as well. And so uh, we knew who our customer base was, um, even in the early stage. Uh, we knew what kind of offering that we were going to be providing them. And in the early stages, it's about finding that early champion. And they come out. They come out. I mean, you have to spend time with them. You have to cast a wide net. But it's amazing how many uh, people uh, got it early on. And then when you find those, those champions who believe in your vision, right? You have to share your, articulate your vision, 
share your vision, um, develop, develop a relationship, right? Meaning um, lots of dinners and, and, and beers and, and early breakfasts or, or whatever was needed to meet with some of these potential customers. And then when you find um, a few that really believe in the vision, um, then they'll take a chance on you. And we were fortunate. We had a number of uh, visionaries in the, mostly in the Silicon Valley area, enterprise technology marketers who understood the power of voice of customer marketing and the power of using reviews in their marketing. And uh, they were the ones who are initial customers. Um, and so uh, how did I find those people originally? Uh, you know, certainly I tapped into my network. That, that was helpful. Uh, not, you know, not every entrepreneur has a broad network. So you just got to continue to find uh, people you know who could help you. Um, go to as many trade shows as you can. There aren't as many trade shows these days. But whatever you can to network, you do have to do a tremendous amount of networking in order to find those people who will be your early advocates, who will take a chance on you. That's great, man. Uh, I once again, you're talking about the raw work or the, the the dark work, I should say, yeah. of of the the meetings, you know, the dinners. I went through that before when when we started the, the enterprise group. Where I specifically remember, I tell the story all the time. We had a meeting in in um, Atlantic City, New Jersey, right? And then we um, basically one of my guys on my team. <laughs> heard or was able to get through finally to a prospect he was chasing was the $8 billion company. I think maybe $10 billion called LKQ, which does remanufactured auto parts. They're probably one of the biggest public publicly traded companies that nobody's ever heard of, but they're highly profitable, do a great job. And so we were, we had a, a late meeting, dinner meeting, had to take them out. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, well, I, I could, uh, I could uh, meet the next day. And we're like, oh, well, we're going to be in town, right? And we're going to be nearby. And this this guy was in Nashville, right? So we jumped on a 5 a.m. flight from yeah. Jersey City to uh, or New Jersey to, to Nashville, had that meeting. And, and long, long and behold, that ended up becoming our big first customer that we got, which was, you know, I think it was like two or three million in annual revenue ARR. So, so yeah, you never know. And I, so I think that's awesome that you did that. What was your, what was your selling motion? And I love the fact that you use referrals there as well. Uh, well, uh, certainly our, our selling motion has uh, grown, matured uh, since day one. Day one um, and getting from zero to one, um, it, you know, I was very involved with, with uh, every sale and uh, we had a, a couple of very talented uh, salespeople that we hired on early on who've uh, gone on to now be sales leaders. Uh, and um, today we've got a, a very mature SDR sales customer success organization with a, a pretty strong playbook for bringing on new deals and signing on renewals. Oh, that's awesome. So, so yeah. And then I heard you say you, you tapped in your network a lot. Uh, well, let's keep moving forward a little bit because I'm a strong believer in scaling customer to customer referrals and reviews yeah. is a strong part of it. Is there anything that you leverage in your business uh, that works really well when it comes to referrals or um, I should say also on the review side, like what are the biggest byproducts of, of companies leveraging that? 
Yeah. So uh, reviews are, are uh, I'll first of all, just talk about what we see in the market. Reviews are obviously super powerful. Uh, if you ask uh, anyone who's buying enterprise technology, um, then they'll tell you that real user reviews that are authentic or genuine are the most influential. In fact, they'll even tell you that the, the most influential reviews are not those five-star reviews, it's four-star reviews. It's things that are authentic, right? So it's all about authenticity, right? On one hand, you have to, uh, as an entrepreneur, um, uh, be, you know, have your vision, sell your vision, but you have to be authentic. And so reviews are similar in that regard as well, in that, uh, for instance, on our, on our platform, on itcentralstation.com, uh, the reviews that you'll find there are much more in-depth, longer form reviews than you'd expect, like in a Yelp or a TripAdvisor, much more in-depth. And also each review has both pros and cons. Mm. And so that way it's more genuine, it's more authentic because in the enterprise software world, there ain't, there ain't no such thing as the perfect piece of software. And also there's nothing out there that's just completely worthless. And so when you've got a platform that's providing that authenticity, um, then those reviews are much more influential in the market. And so that works for reviews. And I think also just works, uh, you know, that's good advice, I think, just, um, for anyone out there in the market, whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, whether you're an entrepreneur, is really just be authentic. Because if you're too over the top, you're trying to sell too hard, uh, then you lose uh, you lose credibility. And some type of authenticity makes establishes that connection. In fact, that that vulnerability uh, makes a stronger connection uh, with people. And that that's something that. Again, the data shows it about reviews. The most influential reviews are four-star reviews. And just as a, as a person, you just learn that that kind of authenticity is so valuable. Okay, so a couple of things. I love what you said. Do you, so you, your scale is one to five, right? There's no, are there four and a halfs or anything like that? Or is it just Therefore, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. There's half stars, exactly. Okay, so half stars. So it's funny you say that. So uh, are you familiar with, uh, do you know Todd Capone at all? Have you heard Not that name? Sure. So he he's um he was a former sales leader, revenue leader at Power Reviews, and he yep. wrote a book called The Transparency Sale. And I've had him, he's a friend of the show, friend of the family here, great guy. I, I should connect you guys. He wrote a whole okay. book on behavior science. And one of the things he talks about is reviews specifically with what you're referring to, where he's like, most of the time people skip the five-star reviews and go straight to the four-star reviews because they believe them more, right? Absolutely. Um, so how did you, I guess, like, I think that's really unique that you put the pros and the cons because I've never heard that before. So yeah. in, in doing that, you know, like, I guess, what are the top three criteria when when someone's evaluating it cold and they're looking at your review? What do they, what, what do, you, you know, the end user or the buyer, what do they most often look at? Because I think that can yeah. be highly valuable. Absolutely. So, so first of all, like I said, there's... It's, it's all about trust and authenticity. So in addition mm -hmm. to providing reviews uh, that have both pros and cons, um, what we learned, again, the early stages, right, when we were building IT Central Station, is that techno enterprise technology professionals have, are, if they smell a fake review, they run the other way. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we said, we, we want to build a company 
an epic company, a company for the long term with, with a great reputation in the market. And so we had a commitment baked in from day one that we were not going to have any tolerance for fake reviews, zero tolerance for fake reviews on our platform. Very different than TripAdvisor or Yelp or Amazon, right, where they say 10, even 20 percent of those reviews on these B2C sites are fake. Wow. Um, we we said, yeah, yeah, we said that zero tolerance for fake reviews. So we have a triple authentication process and we're diligent in terms of ensuring that there's no fake reviews in our platform. And we learned that that earns us a lot of respect with the enterprise technology community who's looking for trust, looking for authenticity. Um, so that's, um, I think, really an important thing that we learned in terms of the, uh, the value and, and how you think about uh, reviews. Um, and then we talked about pros and cons is certainly an important part of it, the balance. And third, the third item is really transparency. And we're, again, we're a big believer in transparency. Our business model is transparent. Our rankings are transparent. Unlike a Gartner Magic Quadrant report, we often get compared to Gartner in the market, um, where a, a Magic Quadrant report, uh, there, there's no transparency into why a dot is in a certain part of the quadrant. Again, for those of you who don't come from the enterprise tech space, um, they do rankings of products. Uh, but there's very little transparency into who gets ranked highest, uh, as opposed to on IT Central Station, where the ranking is fully transparent. The algorithm is transparent. Um, you see who's providing the reviews. And so that transparency is also critically important in today's market. Okay, so there's so many different ways we can go down this. And I want to ask you one more question on this. I want to move on because... Well, otherwise, this interview yeah. is going to be really long. <laughs> so how do, you triple, how do you triple authenticate? Uh, yeah, so it's three steps. So, so the first is we have an integration with LinkedIn. We're a strategic partner with LinkedIn. And so when someone provides their LinkedIn details, either through our platform or by providing a review uh, through our uh, call center, um, then we validate their LinkedIn profile to ensure that they, you know, they don't work for the vendor of the software product that they're reviewing. They don't work for a competitor. Uh, their job title matches what someone who's using that product. So if it's a if it's a review of a cybersecurity solution and the person's job title is marketing manager, that obviously uh, starts to uh, that raises a red flag that we then follow up on. Um, the second step is we have an in-house team. So we have an in-house team that does quality assurance of every single review. Uh, we, uh, if not eyeball then read through every single review that gets through the platform before it gets published on, the, on, on itcentralstation.com. And so uh, what we found is really it's about quality and not quantity. Un unfortunately, some people come into so the review space and just think it's all about millions of reviews. But the fact is one high quality, trustworthy, valuable review is worth more than 100 reviews that you can't trust, that you're not sure where their source is that uh, you don't know much about it. So the second is our in-house team that we invested in that reads through every review. Um, and then third, we have our community. So we enable our community to be able to flag every single review at the bottom of every review. There's ability to uh, flag the review. We have a very active community in our platform who are sharing their ideas, sharing their reviews, answering questions, helping others make better buying decisions. So that between that technology, in-house team and the community, we're able to provide a zero zero fake review guarantee. 
That's awesome. I love it. I love the focus on quality. And and how did you build up that community? Because since you kind of have a, a, a platform play, it's it's yeah. unique, right? You have the enterprise software providers that are the customers, and then you had to build yeah. up a community of people that consume it. How did you do that? Yeah. So we have a community of uh, registered members of over 580,000 registered enterprise technology buyers. Um, and the way we've built it is, is by really, it's about trust, transparency, getting the trust of these technology professionals who, who would come to IT Central Station and they'd see the kind of reviews. Um, and in, in order to get our buyer's guides and other premium assets, they would have to register. There's no cost associated with it, but we would ask them to register, provide their contact details and join the community. Um, and so we have a very large community of people who have opted in, provided their contact details, part of the community, and they stay engaged because they see that basically it's, they've benefited from other people who've shared their opinions. The, the, the number one driver for people to contribute content online on any site, whether it's Reddit, whether it's a review site like IT Central Station, whether it's TripAdvisor reviews, the number one driver is actually altruism. It's not, it's not paying, it's not, it's not for like getting a gift card to write a review. The number one strongest driver is to be able to help other people. So when people see that mm -hmm. they've been helped, they read reviews that are generally helpful and they see that they was contributed by other people, they're willing to give back to the community. And so we've, we've really activated that as part of our model. We really use the, it's really learning from the, the Maslow hierarchy of needs and the, the highest form in the, in the Maslow hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. And that means to enable a business professional to be able to help others is, is at that highest self-actualization. You're actually contributing, making the world a better place, making others more successful in their jobs, all those things. And we activate those levers as opposed to some other review sites out there, which just go around and throw around gift cards to people to provide reviews, which may convert into reviews and does convert into reviews, but that you're not gonna get a community built that way. The way you build community is by enabling people to help others, not by paying people to write reviews. I love that. I love that because that, that aligns with, I mean, I do revenue sprints with founders around scaling customer and customer referrals and it's, it's aligned with what you're talking about. So it's like give to help someone first. And most people that I talk to when I'm, when I'm consulting with clients is they're like, okay, so we got to give them a gift card. And I'm like, no, that's usually not the best way to do it. That's usually the worst way to do it. Right. Right. So how right. did you pay it forward, pay it forward. Yeah. Exactly. So how did you accelerate those reviews like going throughout? I mean, you have a more mature marketplace now, but how did you grow that side of the business? And then um, I'd, yeah. I'd just love to hear that because I would imagine a lot of companies have a hard time starting to get it. So I get it. You got your sponsors yeah. doing it, but how else did you get it rolling? Yeah. So you're, you're identifying what's called the chicken and egg problem of marketplaces, <laughs> which, is, exactly. which is a known, it's a known issue, right? So w with, with us being a, a marketplace or a platform, we have buyers and sellers. Um, and so there's other marketplaces, other platforms out there. And it's, it's well known that the, the hardest challenge in the early days is getting past that chicken and egg problem, meaning having enough buyers on your platform who are interested in, in using the platform and then having enough sellers on the platform. And 
that's what we we worked on in the first few years and and it's about selling both sides right so i told you that you know we talked earlier in, in the podcast about how you know in the early days tried as much as possible to get those technology companies to start to get involved uh, and start to use IT Central Station. But similarly, uh, we also spent a lot of time getting the, finding those early community members who, who wanted to be thought leaders and would provide us one review, two reviews, five reviews, 10 reviews, 10 their, tell their friends, post it on LinkedIn. Again, not because they're being paid, but because they're part of something bigger than themselves. And they're really excited about it. And again, you see that also in places like Wikipedia and Reddit and others, these super contributors. And it's about finding, identifying the super contributors. Yeah, and I would, you know, I, I'd like their posts on LinkedIn and share it with my community. Um, I, we, we, we highlight some of those people on our blog. Uh, there's all these types of uh, ways to reward your early fans um, and usually through having them feel like they've been um, their content, their, their reputation uh, has been enhanced by their association with your platform. The increase in status, right? Exactly. The power, exactly. the super user, and then the increase in status. So exactly. awesome. Love that, Russell. So what would you say is the biggest mistake that you made on your way to growing to where you're at in terms of eight yeah. figures plus right now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, when you talk about mistakes, I think the, the number one mistake is, is dwelling on mistakes as an entrepreneur, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, the number one mistake you can make is dwelling. Cause you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes, uh, along the way strategic uh, as well as tactical. Um, and you wanna learn from them, right? So we have a culture here of always be learning. It's really important to, to learn from mistakes that have been made, um, but then you have to move on and you just have to take the new reality. Um, and so that is probably one of, one of sort of the big lessons and, and things that I try to impart also to, to my team, my management team as well is, um, when there's things that we need to bounce back on, let's just you know un understand, learn from it, and then just and just move on. That's great advice. I love that. So, what would you say, like, if you looked at it in, in terms of growing revenue, what was the the number one, you know, or the top three? I guess, or like a framework around the best thing that you did, you've done as an organization to kind of get to where you're at as a today, the, yeah. where you're at today. Yeah. So. Um, I think it's we have a really special story because we were bootstrapped for so long. So, so the things that we had to do to get to where we are today are probably different than, uh, let's say, a venture-backed company from the early stages. So being bootstrapped, we had to be laser-focused on, on customers uh, and, frankly, on cash. Frankly, on cash, right? Where if you're a VC-backed company in the early stages you're going to be very focused on, on revenues um, and cash is secondary. When you're bootstrapped, actually cash is usually first and then revenues. I mean, obviously mm. you want to grow both as much as possible, but you don't want to be in a situation where you're a fast growing company on the revenue side, but the cash isn't keeping up with it. So, so we, you know, we continue to, to, to think about the kind of products, product offerings that will enable us to, uh, 
collect cash from our customers more quickly. And uh, we early on, you know, even for a very young company, you know, we collected 100% uh, upfront that um, was important to us as a business. Uh, that again, maybe wouldn't have been as important to us. Now, now that we've raised, we just closed a $30 million growth equity round. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit to shift there where, where the focus now is going to be more on revenue growth rather than on, you know, cash becomes secondary because we have so much cash now uh, in the bank. Um, but that was sort of an interesting uh, sort of learning and difference for a bootstrap company. Um, and then the second, the second item is, is, is laser focus on customer success. You've, you've got a customer. You do not want to lose it and you want to delight that customer. And it sounds, you know, it sounds trite. It sounds like, you know, everyone says, you know, delight your customers, keep your customers happy. But again, as, as a bootstrapped company, every customer is super important because, you know, we talk about the CAC to LTV, the customer acquisition cost to lo right. long-term value of a customer. And your you don't have as a as a bootstrap company the um uh, ability to just throw more and more, you know you want you want to keep that customer acquisition cost low and you want to have that really long long-term value so that so we invested really early in customer success uh i'm i'm really proud of the world-class customer success team that we've assembled uh we, we, we pushed our customer success scores up to what world-class levels. Um, our, our average is over 70 over the past four quarters. We do NPS scores uh, quarterly. Um, and that discipline of really focused on the customers and high-touch customer success was also something that we needed to do. You'd say, wow, that was, that was a smart strategic thing, but we needed to do that as a bootstrap company because we didn't want to lose any customers and we wanted to ensure that we're building customers for the long term. Um, so I think those are sort of the two maybe non-trivial um, sort of learnings, being a bootstrap founder that's different mm -hmm. than, a, than a VC backed founder. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really strong advice. And anything specifically you did to delight the customer? that you, you, once you figured out, you're like, that's absolutely amazing. Why didn't we do that sooner? Yeah. Uh, well, there it's, you know, it's, it's about listening to customers. That, that's the most important thing uh, because as much as, um, you know, we think we know what they need, um, always surprised. I, I, and you, it, it's not, I still um, listen, join customer calls, even though, you know, we've grown considerably. I'm still... Um, spending a good amount of my time listening to customers. Um, we use Gong, so technologies such as Gong have been tremendously valuable, enabling me, me to do that in an efficient way where I can listen in on, uh, on calls with customers that our customer success team manages. But you really, really just have to listen. You have to be a good listener. Um, and especially as, as a young company or, or when you've got a young team, and, and we have a, a very uh, young and talented team but um, there's this sort of feeling to just talk a lot. Let me, you know, sell, sell and pitch and tell you and, and share. The, really, the, the key thing is to listen. Be quiet, you know, be quiet for a bit and listen. And, and you, you learn tremendous. And they share with you. 
and they appreciate. And, and obviously, you have to you have to then execute and and do what 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 you say you're going to do. But that's a superpower: is just listening well to customers. Strong advice. Okay, last question before we kind of wrap things up, and I want you to share with everybody where they can find you, how they can learn more about you and and your company. Um, so why why would you recommend a founder not to take funding? You know, before they get to the point where you're at in eight figures, what what's the number one reason you'd recommend not not taking? Yeah. Out um, well, if you if you don't, um, it. The, the, what's so valuable there is it enables you to focus on product market fit, really ensuring you've built a product that customers want, customers are willing to pay for, right? The, the definition of a company, according to Peter Drucker, so sort of the, the godfather of, of management theory, it's the, the definition of a business is one that has a paying customer. You've got a customer and they're paying you. And so, um, if you raise money or you, you follow all these companies, unfortunately, some of them sort of lose sight of that. And, and people think that uh, building a company, the definition of a company is, is just raising money. Um, and, and unfortunately, that game can, can run out pretty quickly. Um, but if you, if you focus on building a, a company that is customers that pay you, then you've got a really strong foundation and then take money, right? Then take money, right? Once you've hit product market fit, that's the best time to take money because you figure out how to do it. You've built the, the foundation in place. You know how to scale. Then you want to bring in external capital so you can grow more quickly. But but taking on capital before you've hit product market fit uh, could be uh, could be risky. Yeah, it was funny. So I'm, have you, you've heard of TechCrunch before, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So it was they did a comparison between TechCrunch and Thrive, and TechCrunch sold, I think, at thirty million, and Thrive sold for one hundred and fifty million. That's with um, Adriana, I think it's Adriana Huffington. Uh, and so basically, what happened was they did a comparison, and the the guy who bootstrapped. Um, I can't remember the founder's name at TechCrunch. Mike Arrington. Arrington, I think. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Arrington, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sold for $27 million, got $27 million out of it. And then um, at Thrive, Adriana, yeah, she's from Huffington Post, I think. Huffington. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She she only made $17 million off of it. So because yeah. she took funding and, and TechCrunch didn't initially. So there's there's a there could be a big disparity too in terms of payout I would assume if you take it too early. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Russell, it was awesome having you on. I love your insights, man. I love your energy and your positivity and you could tell that you're really trying to do right by the world and be authentic, which the world needs more of. So, can you tell everyone where they could find you, where they could learn more about you and uh, your company? Sure. So, first of all, I'm happy to connect um, you, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter, um, Russ Rothstein. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, you're welcome to um, um, send me a connection request. Um, I'll also uh, encourage you to visit itcentralstation.com. Uh, starting in January 2022, we're rebranding to PureSpot. So we will be called PureSpot.com starting uh, January 2022. Um, so please uh, visit our site, uh, connect and stay in touch. Excellent. Well, it's really great having you on the show and 
definitely, definitely check him out. He's, he's dropping some great posts I know on LinkedIn, which is which how we connected in the first place. And really excited about where you and the organization are going to. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.